Welcome to The Table. Welcome to The Table is a podcast put out by the good people of Pulpit Rock Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's an opportunity for us to have conversations about things that we find interesting or helpful and with people that we find interesting or helpful as we're looking at our journey with Christ. I'm your host, Thomas Thompson, and this season is exciting. We are getting into a topic called spiritual formation. How are we being formed in Christ? And so we're going to be talking with some different people about their experiences and ways that they are learning to be formed better with Christ. So as we get into that conversation, we welcome you to the table. So this season, my co-host is my good friend, J.M., uh, uh, thanks for welcoming me to the table you're again welcome. this season. You seemed a little stunned when I said my good friend, so yeah, maybe that caught you off guard. It was it was that, and then uh, when you said you called me a theologian or a scholar in yes. the season one, I was like, wow, who is who is he talking about? Hey. Oh wait, I'm I'm the only other guy on that season. <laughs> this is the rogue uh, JM. So we're going to be talking this season about spiritual formation, and uh, JM, I'm going to just throw it to you right away. When you hear those words, what comes to your mind? Kind of two things. I think kind of the practical initial definition I would have of spiritual formation is just sort of the practical, um, the practices and the disciplines that we engage with on our walk with God. For me, the more heady or intellectual like idealization of that is this idea of um, theosis, the idea that our walk with God is to make us not just more like God, but to draw us into communion with God in the same way that Christ is in communion with God. Hmm. St. Athanasius said that God became man so that man could become God. Hmm. This idea that the, the idea of the Trinity and communion of the Trinity is something that we're invited into because of what Christ's work did uh, fundamentally in our lives. And so spiritual formation is that understanding that, you know, he is going to complete that good work in us. And these are the the mile markers or the steps or the practices that we engage with that God uses to draw us closer and more like to himself. I, I like that quote, uh, God became man so man could become God. Yeah. And I know that people could get really confused Very, by that, yeah. like, well, I'm not becoming God. But, but I think that it does strike to something that has shifted for me in my understanding of like being formed in Christ mm-hmm. and stuff. I've always been using words like discipleship, mm-hmm. you know, which is, or sanctification, the process of us becoming you know more like Christ. And, and for me, the, I guess somehow the message I was picking up was that was more about me acting more like Christ. So discipleship would be, I need to do the things that Christ would do or sanctification. I need to start doing more and more of those things. But this idea that, that, that maybe he's at, he's in me, he's forming in me, and I'm becoming more like mm-hmm. him. And there are parts of that 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 are up to him, mm-hmm. and there are parts of that that he's left with me. Yeah, I think growing up, the example that I was always given was right. You put on Christ. Right. God looks at you when you get saved, and he doesn't see you. He sees Christ sort of covering you. And while that I mean, that's a great metaphor and a great image. The, the more I've journeyed, the more I realize that it's not so much on putting on a garment, but like a change that is springing up from inside of me that grows to consume me more like a fire from the inside out. Hmm. Um, the other thing that uh, I think uh, is interesting to me about talking about spiritual formation is there's a lot of times, 
and this is a very human thing and I know I do it, we tend to elevate the practices or the disciplines that inherently come easiest to us and be mm. like, well, these are obviously the most important ones because well, they're the easiest ones for me. Um, what's interesting to me is when we look at things like gifts of the spirit or um, how spiritual formation is talked about in the New Testament, we're supposed to desire all of it. We're mm. supposed to desire all of Christ. And so the the one I like to use is my wife has been gifted with near prescient Jedi-like abilities of discernment. Like she picks up on cues and um, and social interactions. Uh, it's probably a combination of her Enneagram and just where God has blessed her. And she cuts to the quick of things almost instantly. Mm. I've never had the gift of discernment. And so for the longest time, it was like, well, cool. I just haven't been gifted with that. But when you look at Corinthians, Paul's whole thing is like, you all need to have discernment. Yes, some of you are gifted with it, but you, we all need to be able to discern. And so the idea that, hey, spiritual formations isn't just about the places that God has gifted me, but it's also like the fruit of the Spirit. Some people are very patient. Mm. But that doesn't mean that if you're not normally a meek person, you shouldn't be practicing and developing and, and f allowing Christ to form meekness in you just because it's not where you are have been initially gifted. I like that because I've been leaning a lot in the last uh, decade or so and just this idea of wiring or, mm -hmm. or divine design, like how God has created us uniquely. And you brought up the Enneagram, for example, and I'd seen this thing where this church had... Um, taken the the nine uh, Enneagram numbers and had connected them with some spiritual practices. And it started to make sense for me, mm -hmm. like as a nine, I tend to have a past orientation. And so journaling is something that comes very easy to me. I, I love to do that. Mm -hmm. And it, what's, what's interesting is I think, I think back to how often in my leadership I've taught people, you know, we all should journal, we should journal. And and I realize now that's something I'm naturally drawn to because it's a reflecting on the back mm -hmm. on the past. And, and in this, uh, this, uh, kind of, uh, thing that this church had put together, they talked about with each number upstream practices and downstream practices and a downstream practice for someone like me might be, Oh, that's, that's something easy to do. So like journaling is very easy for me. An upstream practice for me that might be more challenging for me would be, uh, maybe prayer, maybe some aspects mm -hmm. of prayer and thinking about some things. And so I, I like your idea that, that we want to do all of them. I think there are some that we naturally like and, and we should lean into those, but we also, I think it's, it's been really good for me to lean into some things that over the last couple of years that, that are not things I've done before or that mm -hmm. have seemed natural to me. I think, uh, one of the interesting things, Something my dad always liked to say was, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. <laughs> That's a, that sounds like a dad. It's so, it's so a dad thing. <laughs> but the idea of, hey, you know, we're going to talk about some different spiritual practices that we've engaged with this, uh, you know, over the course of this season. We're going to talk with a bunch of people who may be doing uh, spiritual formation ways differently than we have. One of the common cries of sort of the Western Christian is, well, I don't, I don't see God. I don't feel God. And if we're always doing what we've always done, we're always going to get what we've always got. Mm -hmm. 
maybe maybe it's time to look at some different practices and the ways we can engage so that God can speak in a completely different way in our lives. Um, I think back to it. So I, I like reading scripture. I just, it's something that I enjoy. I enjoy sort of uh, delving into it. I enjoy uh, studying it just kind of the way I'm wired. I don't like sitting and lingering in silences. And I was, uh, I was uh, exposed to uh, a practice called Lectio Divina, where you read the same passage of scripture three times you read it once and you sit quietly with it and pray about it. And then you pray before you read it the second time and you sit quietly and pray with it. And then you read it a third time and then you, you know, either talk about it with people or, or journal. And I did not like it at first. I felt like this was not the way to like get through scripture. Right. But it's amazing what God showed me about myself and about him when I just dwell on the same passage multiple times. Mm. Um, it was a good practice for me to, to learn and engage with. Yeah. I, I have, uh, I've also loved studying the Bible ever since I came to Christ and, um, and then of course in my role, uh, serving in churches would prepare and study a lot. Mm. And, um, I always had kind of this practice, not every day, but I strove every morning to like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to open up the Bible. I'm going to read this passage. I have my journal here. I'm going to take notes. I'm going to step, what is God saying? And then I would close that. I'd go about my day. And a few years ago, I had an opportunity to have a sabbatical where mm -hmm. I was off for a whole summer away from the church. And uh, my, my sabbatical coach had given me this radical thought. He said, um, he said, Thomas, you need to, you could use this time to really change up some stuff that you do. And we got into this thing that for me, sometimes um, getting into the Bible, even though I liked it, was really connected with my work mm -hmm. because often I was just, I'd be reading the Bible for me, but then I'd, it would spark an idea. Oh, this would be good in a sermon. Oh, I got to bring that part mm -hmm. out. And so his radical idea for me was what if you didn't engage in the Bible? What if you didn't open your Bible? And, uh, it was a shocking thought. Like, right. How does that work? And, um, and I've actually told some people this story and I've gotten some weird looks from them. Like, that's so weird that you did that. So for the whole summer, I didn't open up my Bible. And I, I started just having some times where I would be praying. And I came to this understanding, I felt like, from God, which he, he was saying to me, Thomas, you seem to control our conversation. Hmm. You decide where in the book you're going to read, what Bible, you know, you decide when we're going to meet. You decide that you're going to be taking things out of my word and putting them here. And then you close the book and you get up and our conversation's over. What if I want to speak to you at different times in the day when you're not planning on it? Hmm. And I started thinking through just this, the spiritual discipline of being present yes, or pausing in my day and just say, God, is there anything you are wanting to say to me? And, and it is, it has begun this journey of, revitalizing my prayer life. Mm -hmm. uh, my prayer life is very different. We can get into some of those practices, but just it, it took me not doing what I've always done to realize man, God wants so much more in this relationship than just me getting my marching orders every morning from the word and then not talking to him. I think again. going on in the small group that I lead at church, once a quarter, we do spiritual practices. We take two, we discuss them uh, for a Sunday. We then come back the next week and we do a little exercise that we can talk about later. Uh, it's basically an evaluation of, uh, you answer three questions. 
at the, the well, you answer one question in three parts. Um, at this point in my life, what do I see God's purpose for me in his mission in the world? And so you kind of, every three months we try and, and look at this and say, hey, there's are two practices that we're looking at. And then where am I at now? How do I see God using that? And where do I see him kind of leading me? Hmm. Because one of the things after about a year of doing this, someone in the class was like, why is it that all of our spiritual practices require us to carve out time to be like quiet and present, whether it's two people sitting and talking requires us to carve out time and be present, whether it's really engaging in the world word or praying or, um, or practicing discernment for me, that requires a lot of, okay, hold on. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to be really present and I'm going to car- you know, kind of carve away all of the distractions to figure out what's going on. And there's just so much, I think it, it speaks to God's desire for relationship with us. All of these things that we're going to talk about spiritual formations, um, being present with your kids in service, they all require us to be one intentional and two to carve out some sacred time like we would carve out time with anyone else that we wanted to hmm. to be with. You know, they they joke that couples couples start to look the same or act the same the longer they've been together. It's because you're present and you're spending time with them on a very real basis every day. Hmm. The other thing I think that's encouraging to me is NT Wright has a has this great discussion about spiritual formation on how he he did not really become a scholar until his late 30s early 40s. But looking back on the arc of his life, all of these things were God preparing him for this next phase in his life. And that's sort of how I see spiritual formation. It's one of those things that maybe in the moment we don't recognize unless we're carving out space and being intentional. Yeah. But God is constantly working on us. That's Paul's promise, right? That he who began the work is going to be the one who completes it. Our job is to just recognize that that's going on and engage with it as we move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that work, like we're talking about, is not, when we talk about practices, it's not, again, going back to what we said earlier, it's not just, yeah, I need to do more things. Mm-hmm. I need to do these things. These are the things that, no, it's, these are, um, these are carving out space, to mm-hmm. use, carving out space for God to work in us because he's the one that's doing this. And yeah. one of the passages I've always liked is, um, is in Colossians 1, verses 27 and 28, but really, uh, I'll just read 28. We, we are instructing everybody and teaching everybody in every kind of wisdom. So there's this teaching that's happening so we can present everybody grown up complete in the king. And I like to, I like to think that I've shifted from thinking about spiritual maturity because that just seems, um, that seems very broad. Like I'm mm-hmm. very, you know, it's not spiritual maturity. It's everyone grown up complete in the king, in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just that we're getting more mature, but that we're really being formed to be more like Christ in his heart, in the way he looks at the world, in the way that we're looking at the world, in the way that we're responding to people, that there's really this, this work going on in us. Uh, Paul says the same thing in Galatians 4.19, where he says, it's my labor to see the Messiah fully formed in you. And I don't think I've really ever understood that kind of that concept. And yeah. it's just been easier to focus on, um, well, I guess, be more like Jesus as, as something I'm asking you to do instead of realizing be more like Jesus is something God is wanting to do. In mm-hmm. us. I, uh, 
So one of the things that was helpful for me, uh, I will be honest, it's a little little insight to JM. I went to I went to Fuller because I love languages and I I love scripture and I wanted to like learn. And Fuller had this. They had four classes that everyone had to take. They were um, I don't even remember what they were. They were they were basically spiritual formation classes on like worship and mission and. I put those off to my last four classes. I did not. I was like, oh, and they were required. And I got to tell you, I think I learned more about God by going through those and really just understanding what they did is so they had the, there was the broad umbrella of spiritual formation, which can be overwhelming. And they sort of broken up into disciplines, like the discipline of worship and the discipline of Sabbath and the discipline of, um, prayer and mission. And then what they said is, Hey, these are disciplines that we all, you know, want to strive for, but underneath them, there are dozens of practices from throughout church history. And people are constantly coming up with new ways to practice one aspect of this discipline. And so it's not, Hey, get better at prayer. Yeah. It's, Hey, well, what can I do in this moment at this time of my life and say, listen, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say the Lord's prayer once a day. That's going to be my practice towards growing my prayer life. I'm going to see what God does for me in this way. Or maybe it's, you know, carving out, uh, for me, the one that I always struggle with is Sabbath. And we could do a whole, we could do a whole episode. Maybe we will. We will. Yeah. On, um, on just the, like the discipline of Sabbath. I, I love the, the fact that when you look at the Ten Commandments, it's really like, don't do this. They're, they're very short in the actual Hebrew. And then you get to the Sabbath and God is like, all right, let me get everything off the table. Let me grab your head in my hands and say, this is what I mean by resting. Yes. It's the longest one. Uh Um, And it occupies this. It's interesting in its placement in the Ten Commandments because, but you have the, the, the commandments about how you are to treat God and you have the commandments about how you are to treat your neighbor, which, right, Jesus said that's the whole of the Old Testament. And smack dab in the middle the hinge between the two is this command to rest, this acknowledgement that you cannot treat others the way I want you to, mm. and you cannot love me and trust me the way I want you to if you're not willing to rest and be rested. And how you treat yourself. Yeah. It's that's crazy. I, I've spent so much I, I, I spent so much time studying that the ten, uh, that yeah. commandment. Yeah. I've never had that thought before. That that this is how you treat yourself. Yeah. He's right in the middle of these two. It is. It's, it's this amazing bridge. You know how you, you'll, uh, you'll read something on the back of a, of a tube of toothpaste or something. Yeah. And it will say, no, not for, not for consumption. Or don't eat this. <laughs> and, right. Like why, who would, and you realize, well, what's happened is someone ate it and got sick and the lawyer said, all right, no, put that on there. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that's, that's God's version of that with that commandment. It's yeah. like, okay, now here's all the ways you're, here's all the loopholes that you're going to try to get around. There aren't any loopholes with honor your father and mother. Yep. I mean, we get that. Okay. I'll, yeah, I should do that. But when, when it comes to the, the treating ourselves and the rest, it's like, God's like, okay, I'm going to put all these disclaimers so that you won't think, well, I can rest if I get my neighbor to do it or I, right. you know, no, 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 you have to rest. So yeah, yeah that's a fascinating thing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm looking forward to our, our episode on the Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, so we were watching, I don't know if you watched uh, 911 Lone Star. I have not. Uh, there's the, there. It's it's a it's a fire show. You know, it's a show about fire and um, medical teams in in Austin. Okay, yeah. And 
you you ha- you're watching this and you're going somewhere this happened right right they're 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 sort of cherry picking if you will like and i don't mean that in a bad way right it's a dramatic show so it's going to be but they're sort of cherry picking like the worst 911 calls from kind of around <laughs> Like in one episode, probably it's it's like a year's worth of horrifying things yeah. all happening in one. Yeah. So last dramatic. night's one we were watching, and it was funny because kid gets a car stuck up his nose. Dad, dad's like, "Hey, we got to go to the ER." So the kid crawls up on the roof. So he calls nine one one. They come out. They remove the car, and we're talking like a Hot Wheel. Like it, I mean, it's it, it it looks it looks horrifying. And so come back from break. And the 911 call comes in to the same person. It's like, hey, this is, you know, Derek. Um, I called about my son earlier with the car up his nose. And the 911 operator's like, yes. Did he do it again? He's like, well, not exactly. And he show, they show up at the house. And the dad's got a car shove up his nose. <laughs> and he was like, I didn't know how he got it up there. So I had to see it. And I'm like, that's, that's the toothpaste thing. The fact yeah. that someone was like, well, maybe I can eat this. Somebody did this. <laughs> Somebody did this. Um, one of the things that's been shaping me a, a lot is realizing how much, and we've talked about this in our season on the Bible, how much um, the, the the context in which we grew up has shaped mm-hmm. um, like our view of Scripture, for example. And uh, we like to think that we um, that we aren't that we're unbiased, and that's just not true. Like, and I've told that story about how I went to seminary, so I was like, look, I'm going to cut through all the bias, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to get to the language and. And then, then I'll have all the answers. And then you realize that there's millions and millions of people who know that language 10 times better than you who all have some different thoughts. Right. So, so the context in which you grew up in. So um, what, what's been really shaping for me, there have been some contexts or maybe denominations or things that it, when I grew up, I, I, I kind of looked down on them or I thought, well, that's weird. Or mm-hmm. like, for example, um, I didn't grow up Catholic and I... In my own bias, I thought, well, some of those things seem very ritualistic that Catholics do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, that doesn't seem like it has very much emotional meaning to it. It just seems like something you're checking boxes on. And and kind of had that attitude for a long time. And and as, as I've stepped into some practices of prayer and some things and, and reading some things that some uh, Catholic people do, um, I've really been like, wow, there's rich meaning here mm-hmm. that I felt like was not a, was not on my toolbox yeah. and it's almost like uh it's almost like being spending your whole life in in your living room and then you open the front door and look out and go oh there's more out here yeah. and so getting outside of some of the practices that I've just limited myself to and even experimenting and exposing myself to some other practices has really been rich yeah so i grew up evangelical so the one thing that was kind of always in our circle, I feel like I have to couch this with a bunch of disclaimers, but right, um, the veneration of Mary was always something that we, uh, in the Assemblies of God, we looked at that as a stumbling block that the, the Catholics had sort of placed in front of them. And I've started, you know, in my own spiritual journey, I've started looking at like, what is veneration really like? What's the difference between like veneration and worship? Where did this come from? And so this is a really small thing, but it, it, it was really kind of uh, impactful to me. So like when you study Luke and you see how Luke treats Mary before Christ even comes into the picture and how the spirit comes upon her. And we talk a lot about, uh, you know, to bust out some theological discussions, right? How the, the Jesus is prefigured in the Old Testament, right? We see 
we see David as kind of a proto-Christ. We see Melchizedek as a proto-Christ. And that's that's how the, the church, right? You look at Hebrews and they very clearly, this is like a grounded theological, like very early on the church was like, oh, look at all of these Psalms that talk about Christ. And in the course of my discussion, uh, I came across this idea that um, Mary is prefigured in the Ark of the Covenant. And I was like, well, that's silly. Why would you think that? And then I started doing some research and the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, right? When it comes to rest, the spirit comes down and the spirit overshadows it, tabernacles. That's the same word that John and Luke use for Christ's incarnation, that, that the spirit came upon Mary and that the, the word tabernacled with us. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And then you go into the fact that the Ark held the Ten Commandments the manna and Aaron's staff mm. and Mary bears the word of God, yeah. the high priest and the, br- the bread of life. And that when the ark is taken out, it spends three months in the Judean Hills before David brings it back. And he dances before it saying, who am I that I should see the glory of Israel come back when she finds out that she's pregnant. Mary goes into the Judean Hills for three months to spend with Elizabeth who says, who am I to see the glory of God come back to Israel and the baby inside of her, dances. And there's all of this symbolism that the mercy seat of the ark is Jesus in the lap of Mary. And that's why we see all of that art everywhere. And I felt like I was, as you said, I felt like I had been putting a puzzle together my whole life with pieces missing. And that's sort of what spiritual formation is. I didn't mean to go on a whole like sort of Marian arc there, but yeah. I think for me, one of the things that we've talked about that the goal of this season is let's take a step back. Let's carve some space out so that people may be able to see some new puzzle pieces. That's good. In their own walk. I think sometimes that can be a little nervous Mm -hmm. for people to think about. Like, like I remember years ago, I, so I grew up in a tradition where we would take the Lord's supper Mm -hmm. and it was, we called it the Lord's supper. And in my, the church I grew up in, it was once a quarter, so four times a year, and it was a Sunday night, and it was the whole service was dedicated to that. It was mm-hmm. just all about that. It was a very powerful thing, and and it was the kind of thing where we'd all get the the elements and we'd wait and we take them all together. Mm-hmm. Now that was that was a very formal thing, and a lot of churches do that. That they pass a plate and you take these and do them all together. And um, about ten years ago, we started experimenting with some different ways to do that, and so we. We said, hey, this Sunday, we're going to have the elements up front and you're going to walk up and, and, and come get them. So mm-hmm. there's an act to it. And I remember there was uh, some people that were like, hey, are, are we are we becoming Catholic or, or are we what's what's happening here? Mm-hmm. And realized that that we had a, a, attached a practice to a faith mm-hmm. that there is no there is there is no like prescribed way to actually practice the taking of the elements. Jesus said, when you do it. And I actually think a lot of times that it's often just, personally, I I think you could take the Lord's Supper every time you eat dinner. You could just say, hey, let's just pause here. And there's the heart behind it. So, But we we can easily attach a practice to a strain of faith. And then that begins to make us nervous. Mm -hmm. Instead of stepping back and saying, what's the real point of this? Well, this is good stuff, but we unfortunately are out of time. So we're going to pause our conversation here and pick it back up in the next episode of Welcome to the Table.